Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello and welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, And the Reasonable Voices talk radio show is just that. We invite and welcome Reasonable Voices to talk about the important issues that face all of us. Some of them we don't even know about, and that kind of is the category for today. I'm talking again to John Rachel, the American author living in Japan. We spoke back in April, but there's more to say primarily about the peace dividend. Now, John Rachel has written, oh, eight or nine books. Is that about right, John? Actually, it's uh, up to 11 already. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> well, John, guys... I can't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. So since we've, we've asked John the first question, we should say hello to him. John, how are you, and welcome to the show. I'm doing great, and it's really great to be back. I was, uh, I was doing some reading on Charlottesville, and uh, what a beautiful little town you have. You've got so much history there. It's oh, yes. Two of the original uh, founders of the of the nation yes. lived there. Were governors. Yes. And yes. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty. Uh, I was looking at some of the pictures. It's a very remarkable place. I, I sort of live part time in Charlottesville. I certainly live there when I do the radio show Charlottesville this week. I'm not always there for the Reasonable Voices radio show, uh, which I do out of my studio. But I am there, as it turns out today. This is being recorded on the morning of the first debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. They're still going at it, aren't they? Oh, they are. They absolutely are. Let's talk about the peace dividend. That is a real thing, not to imply that the presidential race of 2016 isn't, at least half real, but the peace dividend is a real thing, a real promise. I should say a real broken promise. And what John Rachel is talking about when he writes the peace dividend, a book about it, it's probably the most controversial proposal in the history of the world, according to John. And here it is. Every citizen's right to a proper compensation for 24 years of fraudulent wars and military waste. Okay, John, that sounds like a good place to start for me. You know, I've been thinking about everybody knows there's something wrong. This is why you have guys like Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, you know, have this massive amount of support. Yes. Even, it even explains Donald Trump because people know that there's something really, really wrong. Yes. But it's, sometimes it's hard to put, you know, to, to wrap your head around it. There's so it, all these problems seem so complex. So I did a little bit of brainstorming on my own for two other previous books, and mm-hmm. actually the peace dividend proposal is contained as just kind of in brief in two of my prior books. Yes. But here's, here's the analysis I came up with to try to explain where we're at right now, which is not a very good place. In 1992, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. we had no major opponent anymore. We had, the Cold War was over. We no longer had to spend enormous amounts of money 
to mm-hmm. bolster our military against the possible threat of the Soviet Union. Yes. It was gone. Yes. And there was actually a lot of, I remember that period very well, there was a lot of very optimistic talk about a peace dividend. In other words, that money, all that money, was now going to be diverted into uh, making life for everyday Americans better. We had better schools and better roads, and it was going to improve the quality of life for us individually and for America as a nation. Yes. The peace dividend. But you know what? The peace dividend never arrived. If you look at the military budgets for the next 24 years, yes, eight of them went down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the other 16 went through the roof. Mm. If we had held our military budget at a very high level, I mean, in 1992, we were spending $380 billion, so a lot of money. Yes. If we had just held it there for the next 24 years, we would have saved, get this, we would have saved $2.72 trillion. That's how much money in, in beyond what we projected we were going to need. Now, mm. mind you, they said that military budgets were going to come down and we could, as I said, you know, we could be more in a defensive posture. We didn't have to build this gigantic military, but that's not what happened. Mm. Mm-hmm. Military budgets went up. In addition to that, unprovoked, completely unprovoked, we attacked other countries. Yes. So that costs a lot of money. You know, these bombs are like $21 million each. Yes. So this is not... This is not, uh, you know, a uh, uh, pocket change. Yes. So we had the, then we went, we had the Afghanistan war, which I maintain was a complete fraud. We had the Iraq war, which everybody knows was a fraud. Everybody knows yes. there was no weapons of mass destruction. We know that the uh, Al-Qaeda wasn't there mm-hmm. until we bombed the country and created a vacuum. And then Al-Qaeda came in and grew into ISIS. Yes. So we know this. So you see, you just have to put it all together to understand there's a pattern here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if somebody if somebody uh, walks across your lawn every day and kicks your rose bushes and kills them every day, what are they going to do tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So I here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that from 1992 until now, there has been systemic corruption, which has produced systemic lies to the American public that the taxpayer money that we all paid in good faith, trusting our leadership to, to uh, uh, you know, put it to good use and to apply it where it needed to be applied, all that money was wasted. And I further posit that that money is owed back to us. We're supposedly country of the people by the people for the people this is our country mm-hmm. this is not we're not an atm machine for a bunch of wild-eyed uh, military guys who want to buy everything in sight mm-hmm. or start wars all over this is not this is not the role of the american people and so therefore i my claim this is why it's the most controversial proposal because i'm saying for the first time in the history of the world Governments will be held totally accountable. They will be responsible for admitting and remedying that is completely rectifying their errors. And these errors total, if you add up all of the black budgets, the unnecessary DHS, the war on terror spending, mm-hmm. we can get into that later, but the war on terror also is a fraud. If you add that all up, it comes to 4826 trillion dollars that's trillion with a t mm. and if you take the pot and so my my i believe i'm thinking keeping things real simple mm-hmm. you know if you take the population of the united states which is about 321 million right as of july mm-hmm. and you divide that into 4.826 trillion dollars that means that every single citizen in this country is due a refund of fourteen thousand nine hundred and fifty two dollars for this outrageous theft and misuse of our money 
that would mean a family of four would receive close to $60,000. I don't think it should be paid all in one year. I think it should be spread out over three years. Mm-hmm. But to answer the obvious question, yes, we can afford it. Yes, we should do this. We should demand this because otherwise this is going to keep going. These wars are bankrupting the country financially. They're draining the spirit of this nation. America has now been, uh, they, they did, they conducted a poll throughout the world. America is now considered the most, the most dangerous country in the world, the one most responsible for all the turmoil and, and carnage in the world. The United States of America has that wonderful decision. Yeah, we're number one. We're the number one threat to world peace. Mm. You know, a country, the American people are good, decent people. Mm-hmm. If they understand what's going on, I think that they will stand up for themselves. So that's what the proposal is, the so, peace dividend. It's due and payable r- right now, and we should demand it of our politicians. We should n- not even, no negotiation. We shouldn't hesitate. We shouldn't take no for an answer. We will do this. And if people want to know how, I, I, you know, I've got that all worked out. I mean, mm. there are ways that we can pay for this. But the most important thing is to understand that a lot, all this defense spending just didn't go, it just didn't disappear. Mm-hmm. A lot of that money ended up in the coffers of the already ultra-wealthy, the people that yes. own the stocks and own banks and own the military-industrial complex. That money has been transferred from our wallets into the bank accounts of the people who already have almost everything, mm-hmm. but for some reason seem to think they want to have it all. Yes. So it's this us getting our money back, and those people are going to have to pay some taxes. They're going to have to pay the higher taxes. There's got to be a major restructuring of of everything. The way that we, the way that we, you know tax, the way that we allocate money, our mm-hmm. whole the whole budgeting of the U.S. government is going to change as a result of the citizens of this country demanding that they get this refund. And that's probably the bigger point, because we need to change something. You've got Congress in total gridlock. We've got cities in decay all over the country. You've got mm-hmm. cities going bankrupt. Yes. You know... The country just can't keep going like this. Everything literally has to change. And this is one way to drive that kind of drastic reform. And if we don't reform it, there's going to be a revolution in this country, and that's not going to be a pretty thing. Exactly. There's a million guns out there. I, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the idea. Okay. I, let, me, let me cut in, Justin. I appreciate that. You certainly have broken it down. You've made it easier to understand, and you've laid it out so those of us who don't do this kind of research every day understand. I just want to cut in with a few questions for short answers, if I could, just so we can go on in the okay. next segment. And that is, first of all, the peace dividend was a promise. And this promise was made by President Reagan. Is that correct? This promise, uh, no, actually it was made by uh, uh, Herbert Walker Bush, and then it was sustained by President Clinton. Okay. So 1992, was, that was the election year. Yes. So uh, that's when uh, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was leaving the presidency and Bill Clinton was coming in. Gotcha. Okay. But nonetheless, a president of the United States said we are due a peace dividend because the Soviet Union has collapsed and we have no primary uh, necessity for continuing to build up our war machine. Okay, so that's good. I just wanted to get that. Now, then, I'm troubled by uh, the... I mean, you've got Syria and Russia out there doing its thing, and between them two, America is still considered, because I've heard this before, but, but since so much, I think, has developed with Syria and Russia in the Middle East... We still are number one as the most uh, dangerous country in the world, and who who gets to vote in that poll? Well, all the countries in the world got to vote, and it's like any poll. They just asked, you know, the people of all these nations, what is the greatest threat to peace? And that was the result. I, I don't put a lot of stock in polls. I, what I'm trying to point out is I'm, I live outside the country, mm-hmm. so I get this on a regular basis. 
I get to, on a regular basis is what is wrong with you people? Yes. What is wrong with America? Why is America bombing? Why did America destroy Libya? You know, the, the whole Syrian situation, it's interesting you would bring that up. If you do a little research on that, you'll find out that what was, it was basically what, what was going on. Uh, uh, it was like Occupy Wall Street mm-hmm. for Syria. It was not, it was not a violent... Uh, yes, there were people that were objecting to policies and certain failures of the Syrian government. Yes. But it wasn't at all violent. The violence came when mercenaries were brought in with heavy arms and started shooting. And those mercenaries, I, I, can't, I can't document this, they were CIA, but they were certainly sponsored by Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and the other countries that want to destroy Syria. So this was not a popular revolution. It kind of sounds like... It, it sounds sorry, John. It sounds like uh, uh, the the thinking of well, maybe there were no weapons of mass dis- destruction in Iraq, but after all, Saddam Hussein was a bad guy. Uh, it kind of exactly. you know it that really upsets me. Here you agree with me on that one because that sounds really like some little parallelism there. We don't like the guy running Syria, so we'll go in and start a little war, and after all, he is a bad guy, so if he goes away, who cares? Hmm. And lots of children. You know, this whole business of destroying the Middle East is part of, we could get much deeper into this, we don't have the time, but it's part of, it's part of a worldview, which basically uh, was promoted by uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, and it was promoted by the, uh, 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 project for the New American Century. Mm. These are what they. These are the neocons who yes. now are running our foreign policy. And these people had a very simple proposition built around uh, uh, the doctrine of Paul Wolfowitz. Yes. Paul Wolfowitz. Was, He's uh, the guy. Working. Uh, yep. And it, it was. It's a very simple. I call it the Tanya Harding School of International Diplomacy. Mm. Do you remember 1994? Oh, oh yes. Tanya Harding. And Nancy Kerrigan were competing uh, for spots in the Olympics. Yes. So Tanya Harding could see that she was probably going to lose. So what did she do? She hired somebody to take a pipe and, and hit, smack mm-hmm. Nancy Kerrigan yes. in the knee. Yes. That, that is absolutely a perfect model for what the way America conducts itself in the world. Mm-hmm. It sees Iran, it sees Syria, it sees Russia, it sees China as their power is rising. Well, of course it's the, their power. I mean, they are looking after their people. They're looking after their economies. Mm-hmm. If you look objectively at it, Russia only has 10 foreign bases, and those were all requested by the countries where they have the bases. Mm-hmm. China has one foreign base. America has over 900. Mm. Okay? So, they're not interested. They're not putting troops on the Canadian border. They're not They're not interested in conquering the United States and taking over Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. They're interested in what every other country is, and that is what's good for their population. I've been to Russia, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been to China. I've been to all these communist countries that we had to destroy, like Vietnam. There's another horrible, horrible example of this idea that we have to squat down any government or any people or any ideology which challenges the supremacy of the United States. If you can get away with it, maybe it's a way to go, but we're not we're not getting away with we're it. We're not. So, so much chaos in the world. And now we have China and Russia allied because they know what's coming. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what's coming. It's what, ha- it what happened in Afghanistan. It's what happened in Iraq. It's what happened in Libya. They see what they see the writing on the wall. The United States of America would like to destroy Russia and destroy China because they are becoming formidable competitors. If you compare the budget, for God's sake, the budget of and by the way, Russia just hugely increased their budget mm-hmm. in the last two years because of all these crises. 
They spend $65 billion a year in their military. That's a tenth mm. of what the United States spent. Mm. China is $135 billion. That's a fifth of what we spent. Mm-hmm. These countries, and, and, and China is, yeah, they, they have their own program for taking over the world, but it's, it's a matter of, you know, constructive investment. Mm-hmm. They're taking all this money, and they're putting it to good work, and they're making friends throughout the world. They're not going in with bombers and submarines and nukes and uh, anti-ballistic missile systems. And so people in this country have to understand this is a worldview of a very tiny group of extremely monomaniacal people within government who think that the United States has to be the next Roman Empire. I don't think the American people are interested in that. I think the American people would like to have good life, good schools, safety, and what do we have? As a result of all of this money that we waste year after year after year on the military and these wars, what do we have? We have riots in the street, Mm. our schools are falling apart, our prisons are falling down. We spent $160 billion rebuilding Iraq and Afghanistan, two countries we didn't have to even attack in the first place, mm-hmm. while our own schools are crumbling. And we had to lay off, what, 500,000 teachers in 2008 because we couldn't afford to pay them. This is insanity. You All right. A country cannot going like this. All right, John, I'm going to have to break in, and and we'll we'll pick this up on the other side in the next segment, but I'd also like to mention that this is not just about money. It's about the people and the people's lives. And food deserts, by the way, is another thing on the list that John was uh, creating for us to remind us of how we are spending our money. Everybody, every American family has to prioritize how they spend their money. And I think at least part of what John is saying is what the uh, military-industrial complex is doing is prioritizing empire as opposed to taking care of the American people. We're talking to American author John Rachel living in Japan about his worldview and the peace dividend which was promised to the American people. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Today's film has a brilliant cast that includes some of the finest actors of our time. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Albert Finney, Ethan Hawke, and Marissa Torme. In Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, Hoffman plays an addicted antagonist living beyond his means. His excesses lead him into a desperate plot with his brother for robbing the local jewelry store. They know the store well. They've grown up there. It's their family's store. There will be no guns, and their parents don't work on Saturday. What could go wrong? Immersing ourselves in the work of so many master craftsmen is always rewarding. Heading them up is 81-year-old veteran director Sidney Lumet, who just the year before had received Oscar's Lifetime Achievement Award. He was widely respected for his energy and his realistic, intricate, and intense storytelling. Who could forget such films as The Verdict, Twelve Angry Men, Failsafe, Dog Day Afternoon, or Network? Before the Devil Knows You're Dead would turn out to be Lumet's swan song. He died at age 86 in 2011. This was his last film and surely one of his finest films, a triumphant crown on a very rich career. Indie Film Minute, not in theaters, discovery through rentals. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is Arthur John Rachel, an American living in Japan, having written about 11 books, but we want to talk about his most recent books. Uh, It's The Peace Dividend, and where can they reach it? Amazon, they can get it on Barnes & Noble, Apple, iTunes. Uh, Tell us, how can we get your book? And we'll we'll tag this again at the end, but let's make certain we have it now. Yes, all of the above. Yes, it's definitely available on Amazon. It's available right now, by the way. The ebook is only two ninety nine. It's an introductory special that goes till 
uh, October 9th. Uh, it's also available in deluxe paperback, so whichever uh, you're most com- comfortable uh, uh, reading. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Barnes and Noble, Amazon for sure, uh, and, Apple, and uh, in, iTunes, uh, bookstore, and Indigo. Indigo, yes, absolutely. Yes. Indigo, which is the Kobo uh, outlet, and uh, Smashwords, and uh, yeah, I, you know, just Google. Uh, the peace dividend, the most controversial proposal in the history of the world, John Rachel, and you'll find it. That's how good we miss. Okay. The peace dividend, a radical proposal to be sure, until you uh, read John's book, The Peace Dividend, and listen to this interview and begin to understand, oh my God, of course, it's right there in front of us. I don't lay uh, the blame totally on the military, except to the degree that the military's out of a job in peacetime, and now we have perpetual war, so you have to look at that. And secondly, it's called the military-industrial complex because it is a partnership between those who make money off of war and those who make war. Is that fair to say, John? That is absolutely on the money. Okay, yes. okay. And, 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 and the thing about that part, and it's a huge revolving door. Yes. You have guys in the military, they retire, then they, then they sit on the board of directors for Raytheon and Northrop Grumman and uh, Lockheed Martin. And I don't, again, I agree with you, I don't blame them. If you are raised to be a gardener, you're going to see every piece of ground as a garden. Yes. If you are raised in a military environment, you are going to see the world in those terms. But mm-hmm. we have, this is some interesting developments right now. There's a lot of talk about the military, the Pentagon, defying the policies that Obama is trying to shape. I mean, when did our military have the authority to go out in public and criticize the president yes. and say, here's how we think things should be done? Yes. The military is supposed to be uh, subservient mm-hmm. to the policy makers and the policy makers are supposed to be able to look at the big picture and as you say yes make the kind of decisions that are best for the country mm-hmm. it's written in our constitution promote the general welfare yes is bombing syria into oblivion in the best interest of the american people Absolutely I mean, is not. It in the best interest no. of our allies in Europe. I mean, mm-hmm. we're flooding all these countries with refugees. People are running from this, these wars that we've created. Mm-hmm. So somebody has to put their foot down, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to come from the leadership that we see. I, I, I mean, I even though I'm in Japan, I follow the election very carefully and I see what Hillary Clinton is saying I mm-hmm. see what Donald Trump is saying I saw what the people who were uh, competing with them for their respective nominations were saying it's war, 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 war yes. it's who can be the fiercest and the most uh, 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 histrionic in declaring America's uh, military strength and what we're going to do to these other countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's very frightening from the outside here to listen to this. And, and so, because all I'm saying is, if the leadership isn't, doesn't have a clear mind and a clear vision for America being in the community of nations and participating in a constructive way with other nations, it's got to come from the people. Mm-hmm. So the peace dividend, it's not just a money grab, it's a power grab. Yes. It's an attempt, it's my way of saying, okay, we've had enough of this, we're taking the money back, we're putting you guys on a very, very strict diet, and we're going to start running things because we don't like the way that you have, that we don't like the priorities that you have set up. Mm-hmm. Your priorities are making a mess of the world, it's making the world a more dangerous place, and it's make it, and it's it's destroying our country. Mm-hmm. I, I you know destroying the country. I I don't uh, I'm not one of those people who believe in every conspiracy that's uh, uh, mentioned, but um, 
I, I do believe there's more than one reason that John Kennedy was assassinated. And I know from, because I knew people who knew one of the generals, particularly, I don't want to mention any names because I'm not trying to assign guilt on anybody, but uh, one of the generals who was involved with the Kennedy administration as a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And to, from what I know from that couple long gone now, and studying history since, it seems to me that was the last time, I feel, where a president bucked the heads of the military and, like in Kennedy's case, the steel industry. But since that time, whether that had anything to do with Dallas 1963 or not, since that time, little by little, what Eisenhower warned us of after he was safely on his way out of office is this military-industrial complex. And I always say to people, when you see, oh, they shot off two missiles and they blew up such or a drone now, my God, heaven knows Obama is the king of drones. All of those things cost money. And by the way, there's no such thing as a, a good kill with a drone. They may precisely kill the person or the people you're shooting at, but it also explodes far enough to kill women and children and innocents uh, in any close area nearby. So what I really want to get at is Obama has been taking a lot of heat from the military, from Wall Street, from Trump, of course, Trump supporters, because he said, I've drawn a red line concerning Syria, and then he hasn't gone in all the way to make war against Syria. And he's taking a lot of flack because he wants to do concentrate on partnershiping with Japan and China and Asia, etc. So I think you are right. We have reached a point where Wall Street and the military are truly what Eisenhower predicted. And they are ready to take on, with Coke money and whatever, any administration. Clinton or or Trump, any administration, and dictate how taxpayers' money is spent. And I think the biggest danger are the people, not only at the bottom, the poor people, but the people in the middle class who will pay for that one way or another with the lives of their children and with the with their tax dollars. Okay, I, I'm going. You go, John. I'm, I've said my piece. What do you think no, about I, that? I, I, every, everything you said is absolutely correct. Well, I, I also, I tend to orient myself toward solutions, and I try to orient myself toward very dramatic, very dramatic and direct solutions. Mm -hmm. Okay, meaning, if we if we just talk about this, nothing's going to happen. Exactly. There's only one way that that you get anybody's attention in Washington D.C. and that's by threatening their jobs. Exactly. Security. The only one so, thing I would say is only one thing people in Congress and in power want more than your money and that is to be reelected so they can get more of your money. Exactly. So, while we have at least in place what appears to be a, a democracy, we have a very, very powerful instrument in our hands. It's called the vote. Mm. The only reason the vote doesn't work is that we misapply it. Mm -hmm. And the way to apply it correctly in this case, as you say, as long as these people feel that they have the uh, wiggle room, they mm -hmm. have the latitude to spend our money how they see fit, they're going to do that. They're going to. They're going to support all their friends and the military yes. uh, 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 industries and so forth. That's going to keep going. It's just going to, it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And in order to justify that spending, we have to have enemies. We're going to, no matter, if Russia and China somehow evaporated, we'd find another enemy. Yes. It would be Australia. Yes. It would be Greenland or somebody. Mm -hmm. So the only way that you can stop this, the only way we as the public can stop this is to cut off the money. Mm. Okay, so you say, how do we cut off the money? Well, the peace dividend basically says we're taking the money back. Mm. We are demanding trillions of dollars be refunded to the American citizens who have literally been ripped off and have been defrauded for 24 years. Mm. Now, why, you know, I don't want to, I don't really have so much time, but I want you to think about this. 
not only is it good in that it it ties the hands of, of these warmongers, mm-hmm. but this is money that gets directly infused into our economy. People are hurting now. I just yes. read an article uh, uh, two days ago that credit card debt took a huge leap mm. this, this last quarter. Mm-hmm. Why is credit card debt? Because people don't have money. So here's a family of four is going to get a windfall for the next three years totaling $60,000. This is not helicopter money. This is money they gave to the government in yes. the first place and said, here, put it to good use. The power of the purse was abused, and it was we were lied to about why it had to be spent the way it was. So we're taking the money back. We're going to buy some new shoes for the kids. We're mm-hmm. going to put tires on the car. We're going to pay down our credit cards. This is very, very good for the American economy and for the American citizens, especially the people on the bottom. Yes. That, you know, that $14,952 is a lot of money to somebody who's making seven fifty, mm. working part-time at Walmart. Yes, yes. That person's going to get a real shot in the arm. And this, this is what you call wealth redistribution. Mm. The wealth has been distributed from the working people and the middle class up into the coffers of the ultra-rich. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to have that money filter back down. And the peace dividend is the framework for doing that. It's not a gimmick. It's not a, a ploy. Mm-hmm. It's not something clever. It is a legitimate claim that the American people can make on their, the people, on their leadership. They can say, look, you botched this horribly. And you have spent money that we needed for our kids and for our homes and for our communities. You spent it like crazy, man, and it's going to stop. First, you're going to give us the money back, and that process is going to really, really tighten the screws on government spending. Now, John... So it, it has a lot of ramifications. Uh, John, the does in your book, The Peace Dividend... Does it give us some specific ways? I mean, are we signing petitions? Are we uh, recreating uh, Occupy that has some focus and listens to different points of view with with a specific leadership leading us uh, to Occupy the Congress? Does is it is it the uh, the obvious of how we vote? How do we accomplish what you're what you're telling us we need to do? My two previous books, and I'm trying to sell more books here. No, no, that's okay. I outlined a strategy for for drawing a line in the sand, for giving ultimatums to politicians. Mm -hmm. It's called candidate contracts. Oh, yes. And so what we need to do is we need to say to anybody that's running for Congress, they're running as a House of Representatives, they're running for the Senate, Mm -hmm. or they're running for the presidency, do you or do you not support this? Uh-huh. And if you support it, then you will sign a legally binding document saying that when you go to Washington, D.C., you will institute whatever, initiate whatever legal uh, uh, legislation needs to be put in place for this to happen. And if you don't, we're not voting for you. It's that simple. People have no idea how powerful that one single vote is if we vote as a block yes if we unify as a singular force we can make our legislators our representatives actually represent us exactly we can make them do exactly what we want them to do and you know so there is Exactly. And there's precedent for this on the negative side of the coin. There's precedent because it's Rehnquist who has, for years, had Congress locked into no tax increases because they signed a contract with just him, one person. So what if millions of Americans say, hey, exactly what John Rachel is saying in uh, the candidate contract and the peace dividend? Sorry to break in, John, but go. Tell us.
not pretty commercials which make vague allusions. Put it in writing. I and I have the con. If you if you go to my website, you will see the contract all over various blogs I've done, and it's contained in my prior books. I didn't include it in the peace dividend book because I wanted to just focus on this concept and make people understand this is a serious and egregious breach of the trust that we have placed in our politicians and we have a right to demand redress and we have a right to demand a refund. Now and the procedural things we can we can we can we can work all that out, but mm-hmm. people gotta understand this basic idea. And I think also it's important to tell our audience that the peace dividend and the candidate contracts are serious proposals. These are not pie in the sky. These are not, I want to sell books. But these are serious proposals to uh, solve serious issues before us. And so I think we need, John, now to hear uh, your website so we can see that contract. And then we'll talk more about where we can get the peace dividend. What is your website, John? My website is JD, just the letters, JDRachel.com. My name is John D. Rachel, but for some reason when I was living in Africa, everybody called me JD, and it, it kind of like stuck. Fond of it, you know? <laughs> I'm JDRachel.com. And at on JDRachel.com, we can actually see the candidate contract. Uh, that you are proposing that people running for office sign so that they they get our vote because that we they are uh, legally signing a legal document that says we're going to do essentially what the peace dividend tells us about. Is that I know I'm oversimplifying, exactly. but exactly. okay. Let's now right. remind people where they can get the peace dividend, and it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Indigo. And Apple iTunes. Any any other place or any other thing, John, you want to tell us about actually getting a copy to be able to read and learn from Peace Dividend and uh, candidate contracts? And, uh, the, and, the, and, and the deluxe paperback version is already available on Amazon. It's already available on Barnes & Noble. It'll show up at the Book Depository. It'll show up at Tower Records a lot of places. So it, the book just came out, I mean, literally in the last week so mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it takes a little time for things to get around but you can certainly go online and go to any of those uh, uh online outlets and it'll be uh on your doorstep in a matter of it will digitally it'll be there instantly yes if you go to the paperback it'll be there in a few days so okay amazon barnes and noble indigo apple itunes the peace dividend by john d rachel Better known as jdrachel.com. <laughs> That's right. Even my wife calls me jdrachel.com. <laughs> I love her. She's got a good sense of humor. All right. We, we, we're totally out of time, but I just wanted to ask, since we're both married to Asian beauties who also teach, well, how is it living in Japan? And when are you coming to Charlottesville? I can't even begin to describe it. I live in a very uh, rural, traditional community. Uh, around my house, behind my house is a woods, and next to my house is a soybean field, and in front of my house is a rice field. Wow. So I literally, uh, the loudest noise that I hear, this is a writer's dream. Mm. The loudest noise I hear is the ringing of the temple bells from a local Shinto temple in town. So I live in a fairy tale. My wife, as a Japanese woman, unfortunately works, uh, she's a workaholic. Yes, mine too, yes. So this morning she left at 7 a.m. and this evening she got home at 8.30. And that's a, that's kind of a, that's a short day for Japanese. (laughs) uh, it's It's a marvelous country. It's nothing like what I pictured before I came here. Uh, 70% of Japan is covered with forests. Mm. Uh, the Japanese people, uh, despite their regrettable uh, history uh, prior to World War II, are a very kind, very respectful, and very intelligent uh, population. Mm. And so I, I, I like it here a lot. Great. It's great. 
All right, we're going to have to run. We've been talking with author John Rachel, and jdrachel.com is where you will find his books and a copy of the candidate contracts. Read The Peace Dividend, because uh, that's just newly out. Uh, Find it. The Peace Dividend is something every American citizen needs to devour. Okay, John, thank you so very much for being back on the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. It's always a pleasure. It's always educational. It's always inspiring. And um, I hope everyone will go out and vote accordingly. Okay? Thank you, Marcello. All right. You... Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, you, all the best to you. Bye now. Okay. Bye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from the Reasonable Voice. discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. What would you call a film that took 12 years to complete? In this case, nothing short of a cinematic masterpiece. Richard Linklater began shooting Boyhood in 2002 when his star, Eller Coltrane, was not yet eight and adorable in his innocence. When the film wrapped in 2013, Mason, Eller's character, was 18. He had weathered good days and bad, demonstrated a wide range of behavior, both good and bad, and headed off to college. Mason was a typical American youth. There's nothing radically different about him. His problems are simply recognizable as challenges of growing up in America today. The genius of the film resides in its almost time-lapse elements. Incredibly, Link later completed Boyhood in 39 days of actual filming, meeting once a year for only a few days. It will be remembered as special for capturing the passage of time more comprehensively than any other coming-of-age film is ever again likely to do. We watch the same actors gradually morph physically and emotionally into who they will unpredictably become. The process offers us a universal picture of how time and life experience changes us, how the human animal matures, and how American cultural values have evolved. The payoff? A singularly unique work of artistry. Boyhood. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. The demigods of power and might, militarism and media, religion and racism. We used to be able to hang em and nobody bothered, I heard a neighbor say to the mailman when I was in elementary school. But until I, like Rod Steiger, saw Sidney Portier slap Larry Gates in the heat of the night, I didn't really understand this is the essence of America's struggle to live, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Yes, strengths and weaknesses abound over the gamut of our flip-flopping politics, both good and bad reaching across the aisle, violence and hypocrisy, risks and failures, left, right, and center. However, those who believe in whitewashed history books' dearth of truth are as godless as they claim to be godly, wrapped in the flagstone of myth. More fragmentized than American mosaic, our extreme political and social bookends have become this democratic republic's albatross, bending its back on the backs of forgotten and ignored history. The right has become extremely wrong. Now our ship of state seems mired in the muck of military rape, corporate-owned media, religious hypocrisy, and racist hate, anchoring the land of the free in the port of revisionist history, walled in by vainglory of trumped-up greatness, crying out like a voice in the wilderness for the young to save the old from the rigidity of past sins against charity begins with love thy neighbor as thyself. Independence and independence liberals and moderates, advocates and activists, undecided baby boomers and sulking millennials, there is no longer a fork in the road. There is only forward to progressive renewal or back the way we came. Although getting centered is a goal worthy of the common good, there is no more in between. 
In 2016, being deplorable both comes from and raises fears that America's heart has beat too hard for too long. The new reality, with an open mind, it's easier to see our leaders of industry and unions, private enterprise, and all levels of government are merely the boat. And when we vote against repeating the gender bias and racial discrimination of our past, we the people are the power of the wind and the ocean on which all sail. Regardless of national heritage, political hope, gender claim, income race for equality, whether LBGTQ or not, if we desert the system and Democrats, this is what will become ensconced as authentic American, belittling the disabled, faith in bigotry, hate transparency, and permanent second-class citizenship for people of color, girls, and women, echoing the blatant hypocrisy of the voting rights gutting Chief Roberts decrying Brown versus Board of Education at the opening of the Smithsonian's new African American Museum. A trumped nation will resound in Main Street Ensemble like this. It is for us, the right people, tea-stained or red-tied, to lead us not into the temptation of loving our neighbors as ourselves, but rather deliver us from the evil of Black Lives Matter, as we, the too conservative, to see forward free will ourselves to the promised land of blessed assurances that white might is our right. Praise the Lord, pass the trumpet that finally silences, lift every voice and sing. So we are washed whiter than snow, free from the blood of any color. Whether dreaming forward or looping our rearview mirror, what we do between daybreak and dusk is the only difference we make. There are millions of Americans of every political, racial, sexual, and spiritual hue, wealthy and not, who are decent, loving, and giving human beings. But unlike Henrietta Lacks, Sarah Gray, Sam Cooke, and Sons of Bill, Donald Trump and the GOP that birthered him are not among them. But still, I believe, our society and national unity saves us from a trumped fate. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Music